you're thankful for Jesus this morning, would you give him a hand? Amen. Uh, I tell you, I get so excited hearing testimonies like that, testimonies of life change, just seeing God move in such incredible ways in the lives of, of so many people, and it's just so encouraging to see that happening. If you're visiting with us this morning, if you're a guest with us this morning here at Cross Point Church, we would just like to say thank you for being here with us. We are so excited that you chose this day to, to come and just be a part of, of what's happening here uh, to, to come and experience God the way we've experienced God. And I know that God's plans this morning is to really impact lives. And so uh, we're thankful for that. And then also we're thankful for all of the, the new VSU students that we see over here. Man, there's a pile of them over here, aren't there? Just so excited about that. Uh, I know uh, Gabe and Ethan were out this weekend with a bunch of volunteers and leaders just doing uh, such an incredible work on our campus as we do every year. Uh, and this was the first year of, I think, uh, of the last six years we've been doing a carnival that, that it rained. And it didn't just rain, it, it, the ceiling fell out, okay? And so, uh, but they were faithful to just remain out there and just keep uh, just engaging in the lives of so many. And so we're excited that you're here. I, I noticed that this has become the new college section, I guess. Is that right, Ethan? Is that where they're all at over here, gathered in this place? So. Uh, if you're a college student, you want to meet other college students, this is the place to be, it looks like. So, uh, but we're glad you're here, and we're excited that, uh, that God has brought you here this morning, excited about what God's going to do in this place uh, today as we dive into his word, and, uh, and, and just can't get enough of it. Speaking of, of just being a guest with us this morning, and then also speaking into the life of the college students as well, I want to make you aware of something that's going to happen in a few weeks. On August the 27th, that's a Sunday Following the second service, following this service, we're going to have what we call a newcomer's lunch. It's a time for you to come and get a free lunch. And it's not for all of you college students, okay? Let me just go ahead and say that. It's for the newcomer college students, okay? So uh, those of you who have been here for four years, you're not going to fool us, okay? Uh, but it is a free lunch, and it's a great time for us to just have a meet and greet, uh, to get to know one another, to see how, you know, we want to know where you came from and what you're doing but also uh, what brought you here. Maybe you've been a part of this community for years and years and years, and you've been visiting with us over the last couple of weeks, and you want to learn more about who we are as a faith family, and that's the way we describe ourselves here. We're a faith family. God's doing an amazing thing, bringing a very diverse group of people together, and uh, we call this place home, okay? And so we're just excited that you're here to join us, and, and we want to invite you to that if you want to come out and learn more about who we are. And so that's happening August the 27th, we'll be announcing every week for the next few weeks till that day gets here, and, uh, and, and we hope that you will join us during that time. I want to go to the Lord in prayer, and then we're going to dive into God's Word here this morning, so join me if you will, and we'll just give thanks to God for all that He's doing. Father, we thank you for this day, and we thank you, Lord, for your presence in this place. We thank you for, God, just the excitement of just seeing lives change. Lord, I thank you for testimonies like Brent's testimony that we just saw and God just the the many different ones that we hear in the hallways and in the classrooms of this place God how you're changing lives Lord we just thank you for your presence in this place we thank you for your presence in our heart and God today as we as we come together we gather here Lord that we may worship in spirit and truth and Lord already we've lifted our voices high and adoration and praise for your glory. And God, it's just so wonderful to be able to do that together. But Father, we also come to, to gather in your presence for the, 
reading and the preaching of your word, that as we open up your word, that you would open up our hearts and that you would teach us and you would help us to understand the things that are most helpful to us in life and how, how God, you are constantly drawing men and women unto yourself of all ages, Lord, for the purpose of life change and for the purpose of salvation and for the purpose of just experiencing your grace and forgiveness in our life. And so, Father, we are grateful for that. Lord, we love you so much, and we thank you, God, for what you're going to do in these moments now as we dive into your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we all pray. Amen. I want to start off this morning by asking you a question, and I think it's a, a very important question. It may seem very uh, simple, uh, but I think you'll understand as we dive into God's word together. But the question is this. In your life these days, what are you planning? What are you planning for? What are you thinking about in life? What is it that, that you are uh, looking toward the future in hopes of? What are your dreams? What are your goals? All those sorts of things. But really, what are you planning for? And I think that's a very important question for, for us uh, this morning to consider as we think about the message that we're going to be looking at here this morning. For us around here, August is a time of, of transition. It's a time where we as staff and leadership and, and, and leaders within the church, we begin to think about all that we are going to be doing in the fall. We're, we start thinking about what's going to happen in the end of August, what's going to happen in September, uh, what's going to happen throughout the year, what are we going to do for Christmas? I mean, all those things are things that we start thinking about. So August for us becomes a very transitional month for us. But I also know that it's a time when everyone is getting back to school, when students are beginning to go back to class, and, 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 and so there's a lot of planning that goes into that. Students are beginning, if you're in college at least, you're, you're picking your classes. You're deciding what classes are going to best fit your schedule and most benefit you. And you're, you're beginning to think about what each semester might be. For teachers, you're going back and you're, you're getting your classrooms ready and you're planning out the year what it is that you're going to be teaching. And so, in a lot of ways, August becomes this really uh, amazing month of just transitioning into a new season of life for us. Maybe for some of you, your planning is more relational. I know that there are several people that we're counseling with and meeting with that are planning a wedding this fall. October's a big month for weddings, and so it just seems like August is that time where you're starting to plan for weddings. Or maybe in your family, you're planning for children or making preparation for children or, or many different things that you could be planning for uh, as it deals with the sort of the relational element. And then also, uh, maybe some of you here today are planning uh, and your plans have more to do with the financial end of things. You, maybe you're planning how you can reduce debt in your life. That would be a good thing to plan for. Maybe you're planning to, to buy a house or uh, to do something significant uh, financially this, this year. And so uh, as you think about all these things, uh, you, you begin to plan. And the reality is this, is that most all of us, or at least foremost all of us in this room, we are planning something. We're, we're in, the, we're in the, the business of planning always, and, and, and we're probably all planning. But this is how you can know what's really important in your life. Because everything that is important in your life gets a plan, Right? We set it aside, we start working on it. it. It means that it's very important to us. But here's the potential problem. 
in our plans. Not that planning is bad, planning is good. But here lies the potential problem, that sometimes our planning can leave God out of the picture altogether. And so that's what we're going to be looking at this morning as we continue in this series called Free. You know, we've been talking about, and I know we have a lot of guests with us here this morning, uh, maybe some first-time visitors here today, but the reality is this. We've been walking through a series called Free, and we've been talking about how we are set free from our sin in Christ Jesus. And that's so important for us to understand. It's so important that we understand that, that we've been set free. We've been set free from sin. We've been set free from, from death uh, by, by grace uh, through faith in Christ Jesus. We are forgiven for our sins. We are, we are saved from our sins. But we are also set free from our sins. And so as we think about things that, that we've been set free from, we've been looking at different issues that sort of are a part, a part of our culture these days, things that are really impacting our culture in a negative way. And the reason that we look at these things, the reason we look at these issues, the reason we look at these sins is because they have a potential to harm us and we want to be, be sure that we're, we're studying God's Word and understanding what God's purpose is for our life and that we understand what it means to be set free, that we may, we may rid ourselves of these potential uh, just dead ends for us as, as believers or followers of Christ. And so that's where we, we're at. This morning, I want to invite you, if you will, to turn to James. We're going to the book of James. We're going to go to chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 13 through 17. 13 through 17, the book of James, chapter 4. Now, James is, is traditionally believed to be the brother of Jesus. That's where most people uh, land, and, and he was the he was the early pastor of the early church in Jerusalem. James was, was preaching there. He was teaching there. Uh, he was not an early believer, in fact. He was one that, that didn't even become a believer until after the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. But James was a guy who saw things a little bit different. He's pastoring this, this group of people there in Jerusalem, and he's writing to them to help them understand how to live their life in a way that is pursuing Christ, that is pursuing the righteousness of Jesus, that is pursuing holiness, those sorts of things. And so he's writing to them, and, he has, and in his writing, he has a lot to teach us, a lot to encourage us with, a lot to challenge us with as we think about the things of life. And what James is going to be talking about in this particular passage is the reality that so often we make our plans without considering what God's plan for us might be. And that's really the, 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 the gist of this passage that we're going to be looking at here together this morning. So I want you to look with me, if you will, James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. And he writes these words. He says this. He says, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town, and spend a year there, and we will trade, and we will make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. He says, what is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil so whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And so here James is telling us a story. 
He's telling us a story about uh, at least one person, maybe a group of people, and we don't really know a lot about who James is addressing here. We don't know uh, really the context of who exactly he's speaking of. But it appears to be that he's speaking of either someone or several individuals. I think it's probably a group of people because he says here in this passage that we will go. So he's sort of, it's a plural uh, plurality there of people he's speaking about. But he says this, he says there's these people who are planning to go into another town and it's there that they will, uh, they will go with the, the business mindset. They will go and they will, they will plan to, to go and, and, and make trade in that community, whichever town it is that they're in. And as they're there, they will make a profit. And there's so much certainty in making the profit that you can see here in what James has to say. And so he starts us off here, and he's, he's really telling us that there's this group of people that are going to go to this town, they're going to make a profit, and it's all going to be good. And, and you know, you look at this, and, and you can't help but think, well, what's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? I mean, obviously, uh, you know, making plans isn't all that, that bad. In fact, what we realize is that, is that uh, Proverbs talks a lot about the wise man making plans. But you see, there's more to the picture that James is revealing to us as we look into this text. There's more than just this group of people that are, that are going to this town, and, and, and as they go, they're going to go and, and do this and that, and they're going to make a profit. What we begin to realize is that what James knows is that these people were planning all of this outside of even considering what God may purpose for their life. Now, we don't know if they're believers. We don't know if they're followers of Christ. We don't know, you know, if, if maybe they're just really worldly people. I don't know. But the warnings that James are presenting is to the church. He's presenting this to believers, and he's saying, listen, this is not the attitude or the mindset that we should have as we go out into the community. With, uh, and the, that mindset is that we go out and we leave God to sit on the back seat. And so this is what he's going to be speaking about as we get into this. Now, James does this. He offers to us two warnings that I want to give you here this morning. Two warnings that he says. And so think about this. Think about it in the context of, of the church hearing this from, from their pastor. He's writing to them and he's saying, listen, be careful that you don't do this. And that's what Scripture does for us, doesn't it? Aren't you thankful for the Word of God that just instructs and guides and leads us that we may not make mistakes that others have made in the past? But here he says this. He says, he says I want to offer you these two warnings. And here's the first warning that he offers to us. He says, don't presume to know what the future holds. Don't presume to know what the future holds. Look at verse 13 with me, if you will. He says this. He says, come now... You who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And so what, what James is doing here is he, is he is revealing that the attitude of these people is that what they are about to embark on, what they are about to pursue, this business venture that they're going into is a no-brainer because it's a no-fail. And what he says here, what he is teaching as we continue to read through this is something that is very important to us. He, he wants us to know that we should never presume to know what the future holds for us. 
And so we look at this and we think, man, why not make these, these presumptions? Why, what would be so wrong about that? If Proverbs has a lot to say about a wise man planning for the future, why would this be something that James would deem as arrogance? Why would this be something that James would, would deem as, as being uh, people who are presuming something for themselves without having any consideration for God? You see, the problem is not that we set goals or plans. That's not the problem. The problem is when we don't include the Lord in our plans. And there's two huge reasons why I think that James is wanting to teach us this. One is, is that we are not sovereign. God is. We're not sovereign. We're not in control of, of the future. We're not in control of what lies ahead. We, 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 can, we can guess. We can even make investments uh, hoping for the best, but we're not in control. If we were in control of the future, we could just have th everything go our way, couldn't we? But the reality is we're not sovereign. God is sovereign. And you see, James understands this. James understands that, that sovereignty lies with a holy and righteous God, not with humanity. And so he's, he's teaching this, and he's saying, listen, we're not sovereign. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 14, he says these words. He says, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. So he says, you make all these plans. You make all these plans to go and do these things, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. And what he's doing is he's basically implying that they're going without caring or knowing what the future remembers. I mean, for them, it's a given. They've done all the homework. They've done all the research. They've done everything that they can, and they're going to go out, and it's a no-lose situation. And that's a presumption they shouldn't necessarily be making because, as James points out, that's arrogance. We're going to look at that. This is really the second thing that we're, we're looking at here because not only are we not sovereign, but it's sinfully arrogant to leave God out of our plans. The Word of God describes that kind of arrogance as sinful. In fact, it goes on to say it's evil. So we shouldn't leave God out of our plans. He says here in verse 16, he says, As it is, you boast in your arrogance, and all such boasting is evil. And so what James is doing, he's pointing out that when we fail to, to, to bring God into the picture, when we don't include God in our plans for our future, that's as if we're saying, God, I've got this. I don't need you this time. It's, it's as if we're moving forward in future and we're saying, God, if you're busy helping the poor over in Africa, that's fine because I've got this. And it's a spirit of arrogance that comes from where? It comes from the enemy. It comes from the evil one. It comes from a place that's not holy because this kind, of, this kind of arrogance is not what God's plan is for our life. And so we never want to leave God out of our plans. We never want to leave God out of our future. I love how you, can how you can define, this is one of the ways you can define arrogance, but it's an attitude of superior, uh, superior, uh, superior, superiority superiority I can say that word all day long okay the young people don't know this but I was raised a South Georgia country boy and there are just some words that stump me okay so now you know okay let's look at this again an attitude of superiority manifested in presumptuous claims and assumptions okay and so there we have the definition of arrogance okay 
And so we see this and we understand this. And this is what Paul, I mean, this is what James is saying. He's saying, as you go and you make your plans, leaving God out of the picture, you are boasting in your arrogance. You're, you're assuming, you're assuming that you don't need God to be a part of your life. You're assuming that you can do this all on your own. And that's boasting and all such boasting is evil. Most of us here today have probably heard the story of the Titanic. We've, we, we've all heard the, the story of Titanic. It was completed in 1912. And during its day, it was one of the largest ships that was ever created. In fact, it was the largest ship that was afloat during its time. And what we know about the Titanic is that no expense was spared in its design. No expense was, was spared in its construction. No expense was spared in its decor. It was supposed to be, and it was one of the finest ships that ever existed in 1912. And so uh, one of the things that was, uh, was also proclaimed about the Titanic, one of the things that we know, is that its designers and its creators and its builders declared this ship as unsinkable. But what we also know is on its maiden voyage, it hit an iceberg, and within two hours, it was at the bottom of the ocean. A ship that was declared unsinkable. Now, what you may not know is some decisions that were made just before they left the dock. One of those decisions that they made right before they left the dock was to leave over two-thirds of the lifeboats back at shore. I mean, after all, why do you need a lifeboat if a boat is unsinkable, right? So they left them. They didn't even put them on the boat. Another thing that you may not know is that normally they would do drills before they leave the dock to show the passengers how to evacuate the boat in case the boat sank. The crew refused to do this because, after all, the boat was unsinkable. Listen to what James Cameron had to say. He was a film he's a filmmaker, producer, writer, screenplay writer, uh, and he worked with uh, this project of, of the movie, uh, The Titanic. And so here we see these words that he once wrote. He says this. He says, The ship was not, design, uh, was not destroyed by an iceberg alone. It was destroyed by a state of mind, an unseen force, that would ultimately lead to downfall. In a word, arrogance. You see, there was this presumption that was made that the boat could never sink, and yet the boat sank. I believe this is what James is trying to communicate to us, that we should never live life, we should never begin to embark on our future with this presumption that we're unsinkable. We've got this. Because the reality, and as we're going to continue to see as we dive more into this message, is we are all, every one of us in this room, we are all in desperate need of God in our life. Amen? We're in desperate need of God in our life and so here James is saying listen don't presume to know what the future holds Romans 12 3 says this for by grace given to me I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment I love that what a challenge for us to not presume anything in this life now, here's the second warning that James gives us. The second warning is this. He says, don't presume to know how long your future will be. 
And so he says this, he says, he says, don't presume to know what the future holds, but then he says, don't presume to know how long your future will be. And the, and the reason that he would say that is because for every one of us sitting here today, none of us are guaranteed tomorrow. We do understand that, right? None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. I know that the older you get, you begin to think the shorter your days, and you begin to, you, this becomes more of a reality, okay? The older you get, when you get out of shape, and you can't breathe when you go up a stuff, flight of stairs, you begin to realize that life could be over before you know it. But you young people, you think you're going to live for 400 years, okay? And I know because I was young at one time, believe it or not. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. In fact, this morning, as Spence and I and the rest of the worship team gathered together to pray as we always do every Sunday morning, we prayed for two who lost their life just this week. We never know what tomorrow's going to bring. We don't know what the future holds. God is sovereign. We are not. We also don't even know if we're promised tomorrow. And so what James does here is he does a really good job of showing us this. Notice in this passage what he says. He says, you say today or tomorrow you will go and you'll do this. So he says to this group of people, he says, you, you make this declaration that you're going to go and you're going to do this and it's going to be great. You're going to make profit. He says, you don't even know if you're going to be alive. You don't realize, you're not, you're not acknowledging whether or not you'll even be around. And ultimately, you're not acknowledging that God's in control of even your life. And so he asks this very important question, verse 14. Look at this. He starts off, he says, so what is your life? What a great question. What a great question. You know, we've been asking that question ever since James wrote it. And I don't mean we like me and the other staff. I mean humanity has been asking that question. Philosophers, they develop everything they think around this question. What is life all about? What is life about? What is life? Why do I exist? What is my purpose for being here? Why was I created? These are questions that just flow from the heart and, and confuse the mind because so often we, we just get so confused at what the world says life is all about versus what Christ says life is all about. And we find ourselves in this sort of tension between the flesh and the spirit, and, and it's a question that has just stumped so many people. I mean, how many of us, rhetorical question, you don't have to respond, but how many of us, how many of us question, what is life all about? What is the purpose of my life? All the time. And so James asks this question, what is life? What do you think life is? What, what is life all about? And he asks this question, and if that doesn't get your attention, he, he, I think that question for James is really designed to help the, the, the listener to, to sort of get focused on what he's going to say next. Because here's the reality. If you don't know who you are in Christ, if you haven't understood your identity in Jesus, if you don't know who it was that created you from the beginning, if you don't know what your purpose is in life as a follower of Christ Jesus, you'll never know where you're going. And so he wants to get their attention. He wants them to understand. He wants them to, to grab on to what he's about to say next. And so he asks this question, what is your life? And then he says, for you are a mist that appears for a little time 
And look at this, and then vanishes. We have this tendency as humanity to think that we are going to exist on this earth forever and ever and ever. Just We are so brave when it comes to life and ignoring the reality, the truth, that our life is in God's hands. Only God knows if we have a tomorrow. Only God knows if we're going to have next week. Only God knows if we're going to be living next month or forever. I mean, for then... Who knows? I mean, we, we live our life and we plan all this stuff and we look to the future and we make presumptions. And we leave God out of the picture. That's all right, God. I'm young. I'm strong. I got this. That's okay, God. I'm, I'm old and I'm wise. I've got this. And what the Word of God reminds us is, you've got what? What is it that you've got but only what God gives you? But only what God gives you. God's in control of this universe. He's the creator. He's the founder of everything that exists, everything that we can see and even the unseen. He is the, he is the one responsible for it all. Why would we ever presume in our arrogance that we have anything or can hold on to everything? And so James says, what is your life? He says, for you are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Yesterday was a get in the yard and work day. I knew that because my wife told me it was a get in the yard and work day. Saturdays is a day of working in the yard, right? I do it about every 10th Saturday, right? That's why my grass is this high and the bushes are springing forth new life and are higher than my head, okay? So anyway, yesterday was a get in the yard and get her done day. And so I, I established that day as a day that I would get it done. I, we'd, get it, we'd get it all done. And, and so here's what happened. I, 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 I lollygagged, that's an old person's term, but I kind of, I procrastinated, okay, till high noon. And at high noon, it was 184 degrees outside. I don't know if you noticed that, if you were out, it was 184. I know, at least at my house, that's what this beam of sunlight was, was torching me in my yard, okay? It was 184 degrees. I know it to be. And immediately, I start thinking, man, I can't wait for some cooler weather. You know what we get to celebrate in August? That cooler weather is at least closer than it was in June, okay? It's at least closer. We know it's coming. It's coming cooler weather and it's funny because as we continue to sort of go through the end of summer and we get into September even and by the way for those of you who just moved to Valdosta it, it cools off in February okay not September okay that's it, that you want that you go to Minnesota okay this is this is Valdosta the gnats don't even die till Mar I mean till till December but anyway I was sitting there, and I started thinking, man, I can't wait for some cooler weather. And then I, I realized that, you know, what we begin to do, and it's just hopeful thinking, I know, but we tend to make these kind of statements. Around September, around the first September, we'll say, wow, there's a coolness to the air. You ever heard anybody say that? 
you'll say, there's a cool, I, I feel, it feels a little crisp this morning. You'll, you'll hear people say that. It's a, it's a chilling 82 degrees, you know? It's, we start making those comments. It's not cold. It's not cool. It's not February yet. But it, we start talking like, man, whoo, a frosty 78, you know? I mean, oh, for just a moment in the day. But you know how we can tell it's really cold? You know how we can tell? You know when, when that day comes, when it really truly is a colder day, is when you walk the dog, you go outside, you, you let the dog out, you step out on the back porch, and maybe you have your cup of coffee or whatever, and you take in a deep breath, and you admire the beauty of all the yard work you did, right? And you say, and you see that smoke that comes out of your mouth. You know what I'm talking about. You know what's funny? When that first happens, you go, did I just see what I thought I saw? I did. It's cold. It's cold out in Valdosta. And then you start doing little smiley faces in the, in the fog, you know, the mist, the vapor that's coming from your breath. And, and you know, you, you're driving to work and you see all these school kids outside waiting on the school bus. And you know, they're all doing it. We all do it. You're laughing at me, but you do it too. You'll do it this winter. You'll be like, oh, that's what Pastor David talked about. That's how we know it's cold. But look at what James is saying here about our life. He said our life is like a mist. A mist that comes and then it, then it vanishes just like, just like when we breathe that breath of air out and it, and it turns to a vapor and then suddenly it vanishes. He says, our time on this earth is like a vapor. It goes by fast. You thought you had hundreds of years to live, and you realize that life is nearing to an end, and what do you have to show for it? How often in your life have you left God completely out of your plans, and suddenly you find yourself trying to make up time to please a holy and righteous God? He says your life is like a mist that just vaporizes right in front of your eyes. He warns us these things because this isn't how it should be. As we look into our future, as we consider everything that lays before us, let us not be the people who leave God out of it. We were singing earlier about being a child of God, and I heard the church as, they, as we sang, and, and our arms are raised. And we're so thankful that God has saved us, and we're so thankful that God is moving in our life in such amazing ways, and we're, we're grateful for his presence in our life, and we're thankful that we can celebrate being a child of God, and then we leave this place, and we go out there, and we say, God, I've got this if we're not careful. James says, don't let that happen in your life. Don't let that be. Now, these presumptions, they're made in a spirit of arrogance. We don't need to miss that. I mean, that's what he, what he says here. But notice what he instructs us here. Notice what he says to help us know that we can't fall into this trap of arrogance. He said, instead, now listen to this. This is important. Instead, you ought to say, 
if the Lord's will, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that. So what James is saying is we shouldn't make the presumption. We shouldn't make the assumptions that the future is something we have a hold of, that we're even guaranteed a future. We shouldn't make those things. But rather, what he says is, as we approach our futures, we plan for what lies ahead as we do all of that, that what we should do instead is say, as the Lord wills. Now, here's what I want to say about that. We need to make sure that this isn't just some catchphrase that Christianity uses from time to time and boy do we use that one boy the will of God for my life I mean we toss that out like you know good Lord willing and a creek don't rise I don't even know what that means we got bridges over most creeks right I mean why would that stop us good Lord willing you know you know what's funny about that that phrase if the Lord's willing you know you know what what is just amazing to me is sometimes and I'm talking about myself too sometimes we have this sort of presumption that by us attaching if the Lord wills on the end of a statement that we something that we want to do we're somehow inviting God to join our will rather than to turn to him and ask him what his will may be for our life you know this is what I want to do with my life I want to do this if the Lord wills you know or if the Lord is willing why don't we just turn to God and just ask God God what are your plans for my life why don't we just pursue Jesus and let it all play out. Why does it have to be all the time? We talked about last week about how sanctification, growing holy, is God's will for your life above everything else. But he says here, if the Lord wills, we will live to, and do this or that. And so true this is. Because here's the thing, and I'm almost done, but as followers of Christ Jesus, we must understand these things. We must understand these things, okay? As followers of Christ Jesus, we need to understand that it is God who grants us time, okay? It is God who grants us time. Ecclesiastes 3, verses 1 and 2 says this, for, there, for, uh, for everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck what is planted. For every one of us in this room, whether we acknowledge it or not, it is God who wills time into our life. It is God who gives us tomorrow. If I wake up, I was about to say, I was about to say if I wake up in the morning and I'm dead, <laughs> Man, that would just not work, would it? There would be something supernatural about that now. That's not going to happen. But if tomorrow comes and, I, and I'm not breathing, if my life has been taken from me, it is because God, God determined that for me. And so it's God who wills our time on this earth. We don't need to walk away from here this morning without realizing that, that none of us, or promise tomorrow it's all in God's hands he's the sovereign God and so as we think about this if the Lord wills that means everything even considering our time on this earth the Lord's will for us to live or to die it is God who wills our activity 
It is God who wills the things that we will be allowed to accomplish or do on this earth. Those things aren't in our hands. Those things aren't in our hands. If God's given you the breath to breathe today and he's causing your heart to beat, then he's allowing you to accomplish what you will be accomplishing today and tomorrow and this week and next month for the rest of your life. So it's God who wills our activities. I love what Proverbs 16, 9 says. It says, the heart of man is to plan his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. The Lord's in control. God is sovereign. God is, the, is on the throne. God is the creator of heavens and earth. God is the creator of all things, seen and unseen. God is, God is in control. He's in control of your life. He's in control of my life. And then finally, it is God who gives us the capacity through our gifts, through our talents, through our skill sets. It is God that gives us the capacities to carry out the things that we do. We don't boast in our gifts. We don't boast with a spirit of arrogance over the things that we are skilled to do. God gave us the ability for that anyway. And so James just wants us to know, as we look through his word, he wants us to understand that, man, we might not be as in control of our lives as maybe we thought we were. But I'll, I'll just give you this word of encouragement. I, uh, I don't want to be in control of my life. I've been there, done that. In fact, I had a t-shirt that said, been there, wrecked that. It seemed like everything I tried to do outside of Christ in my life was a mess. It's a disaster. I want to wake up in the morning and give thanks to God for leading me and guiding me and loving me. and The fact that He has enabled me to love Him because He first loved me. The fact that He gave me what, it, what I need to love other people. I mean, Callie, she's probably somebody most. She's probably the hardest person here to love, and yet God gives me the ability to. I'm kidding, you too, Gabe. Right there, you go. No, boy, she's gonna kill us after service. God's in control of all that, right? There's nothing more important than us acknowledging the Lord in all of our life, and there is nothing more arrogant than to ignore the Lord in all of our life. When Jesus launched his ministry, uh, we, we begin to see some incredible things. He had a lot of work to do. One of the first things he did was he went out and started walking through the villages and he began to call his disciples. He began to gather that small group of men that he would pour into, that he would disciple, and that he would equip to change the world. And Jesus, he went out and he got these disciples and he, he brought them through with him and they just started following him wherever he was going. He was, he was on this mission and he, he went through several cities and they saw him do a couple of neat things, but he, he carried them first to this mountain. He went up on the mountain and the scriptures tell us that, that when Jesus got on the mountain that he sat down. I guess he was going to be there for a while. <laughs> and he sat down, he had a lot to teach his disciples. And when he sat down, it says in the scripture that he opened his mouth 
and he began to speak. He began to teach. And he began to teach them all the things that were important about their life and about your life and about my life. He began to teach us. We see in what has come to be known as the Sermon on the Mount where in Matthew 5 and 4, Jesus just begins to preach and teach these things that are so important for us to know. And he gets to a certain place. And he begins to teach his disciples how to pray. And he says, when you pray, don't pray like the, like the hypocrites do. He says, don't pray like the world prays. Don't pray earthly things. He says, pray like this. And Jesus says this. He says, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. He says, kingdom come, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now I want you to get what Jesus is saying here because I think it is so important for us to understand. Jesus says, when you pray, pray giving thanks to the Father who is holy and perfect and beautiful in every way. Hallowed be His name. Glorious is the name of God. When you pray, turn to the Father. And when you pray, pray that His kingdom come. Not yours. His kingdom come. His will to be done. And then this is what he says, on earth as it is in heaven. That is so important for us to understand. I believe that what Jesus was saying was the same thing that, Je that, that James is teaching, is that we can't separate the secular from the spiritual. Not as followers of Christ Jesus, not as someone who would call themselves children of God, not, as, not when our identity is in Christ Jesus. There is no secular, worldly, and spiritual separated for us. As followers of Christ Jesus, there is only spiritual. And when we pray, we don't pray with an arrogance or boasting for our will to be accomplished. We're not inviting God to come and join us in our work we're praying that we as children of God would be aligned in His work and that we would be aligned in His work while we're still on this earth just as much as when we're in heaven. When we pray, let us pray, God, Your will be done. Your kingdom be come on earth as it is in heaven. Let us never, as children of God, let us never plan and look to the future and leave God sitting on the sidelines in our venture. Let us ensure that we are always pursuing the will of God, that we're pursuing the righteousness of Christ that we are shunning arrogance in our life and we are declaring 
God, we can't do this without you. In just a moment, our band's going to come back up. They're going to lead us in this final song. And I want to encourage you, maybe here this morning, God has been speaking into your heart. And your greatest act of worship is just to pray. It's just to pray. To pray, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. How glorious you are. How thankful I am. Maybe your greatest act of worship is just to pray, God, your will be done in my life. Your kingdom come into my life on earth as it is in heaven. Maybe your greatest act of worship this morning is to stand and to sing the songs, and that's perfectly fine, to stand and sing the songs with all of our heart, offering praises and adoration to a holy and righteous God. Or maybe what you need to do is meet with someone a friend that maybe you're here with or one of our pastors or counselors that can help walk you through whatever struggles you're facing today. But the reality is let us, none of us that are here today, turn our backs on God. Let us declare to the heavens that we are in desperate need of Jesus. Let us declare that together as a faith family. Let us declare that together as children God.